Welcome to this Zero Week conversation by IHS Market. My name is Xizhou Zhou. I lead our global power renewables practice here in the IHS Market. And uh, today we will be covering the topic of corporate energy transition and the power sector decarbonization. I have uh, two gentlemen here with me who are experts in this area and have already done a great deal in their respective organizations. Uh, so I have Brian Janis who is uh, the general manager for energy and renewables at Microsoft. Hi, Brian. Hi, thank, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And uh, Jason Tate, who is uh, head of European power trading and origination. Hi, Jason. Hey, Shijo, yeah, appreciate you having me as well. Thank you for joining us. So Jason is in the UK and as we record this session, we have the UNFCCC COP26 happening in the UK, uh, up the road uh, from you in London, I guess. Or is this a hot topic right now in the office? Everybody's talking about it? Yeah, I think uh, very timely for us to be connecting on this. And um, yeah, with, with such a big conversation happening um, uh, just up the road, so to speak. So uh, I think all eyes are on what are the the governments and and uh, you know uh, going to commit to and uh, are we going to get some some hard lines that could, you know we can use to accelerate a society so exciting times and I hope to see uh, what comes out here over the next you know few days. I already heard a few things yesterday, so yeah, I'm sure there's more to come. And uh, in fact, when we talk about climate actions and clean energy. Uh, you know, well, well, governments are always important that we are seeing more and more action from companies. Um, and uh, you two are in two companies that have uh, both emphasized uh, the role of renewables. Uh, but I think, you know, maybe I'll start with the first question, right? When people think about renewables, renewable development, they usually think about uh, power companies that have been engaged in this type of work. Uh, but for both of you, sort of renewable development is not what comes to people's mind when they first think about renewable energy. Uh, we have a uh, Microsoft, we have a very giant tech company, and then BP, uh, that's traditionally been more in the conventional energy. Of course, we know that you've gotten into renewables more. Uh, how does that feel? You know, what's the what's the role of renewables in what you do? Maybe Brian, you want to start? Yeah, you know, I think it's been an evolution for us. As you know, if you go back several years, I mean, Microsoft was not a big player in the space. Um, you know, our our business model was very different in terms of how we delivered our products. But as it's transition to the cloud, of course, that's necessitated a tremendous amount of investment in cloud infrastructure. Um, so, you know, we have you know, gigawatts of capacity around the globe across you know, 70 or so different cloud regions. Um, and of course, that means a, a tremendous amount of energy consumption. And so, you know, as, as we think about, you know, our business, it is about infrastructure. It is about, you know, building large facilities. In fact, it looks a lot more like Jason's core business uh, today than, than, you know, in terms of, you know, being a, a big infrastructure company with a lot of capital on the ground. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, as we think about our responsibility as a company, um, you know, as we're consuming energy, water, land, resources, um, that's really driven us to make a number of different commitments around how we're going to do that and ensure that we're uh, being as responsible as possible with the energy we consume, with our use of water, uh, et cetera. And so, uh, we have a commitment to, to have 100% renewable supply by 2025 and then by 2030 uh, to do that uh, around the clock, you know, zero carbon, you know, 100% of the time in every market where we operate. Okay, so uh, Jason, on your side, um, 
you know, Brian already mentioned a little bit for uh, your part of the business too. Um, how does renewables fit in? And, uh, you know, that, that does it feel now that it's taken more uh, mainstream in terms of the BP world? Yeah, I think, you know, you'll recall uh, that BP's been, we'll call it on this journey for quite some time, right? So back to the John Brown era and, um, what was this, the early 2000s, you know, we announced um, a, a real push in, into the green agenda, um, solar, onshore wind, uh, CCUS, a number of technologies at that time. Um, and so, you know, I, I think we were challenged, you know, looking back, you know, the, the technology was not as economic as it is today. Um, it was not as advanced. And I think the shareholders were looking for something you know, a bit different from the company at that time. And so, uh, but fast forward to today, uh, I think you, you could say, well, looking back, we did have the right strategy. We were just a, a decade and a half too early. Um, and you know, but, but it's in a very exciting time within BP. Uh, people are, you know, uh, super energized, I'd say, around this vocalized shift in our forward strategy. Um, we had a new CEO come in uh, into in role in 2020. Uh, and so February 12th of 2020, I remember the date specifically, is when he rolled out and set our forward path. And so it's clear, um, you know, uh, clear targets, clear ambition, and, uh, and we're in motion. That's great to hear. So now we've talked about um, both of your businesses a little bit. Um, and we also realized that there are more and more players in the development of renewables, uh, including both of you. So I wanted to sort of have a quick chat about what do you think, if you look at each other's business, um, are you guys more competitors potentially looking at the same renewable projects potentially, or can you also be partners in other areas? I know I think we're, we're definitely partners. In fact, uh, Microsoft and BP have a strategic partnership that we announced last year uh, for Microsoft to help BP on its cloud journey and, and then BP to help Microsoft uh, in terms of securing uh, renewable supply. And so we've made a lot of progress over the last year uh, in terms of developing uh, projects around the globe. Um, so we, we really, I mean, Microsoft doesn't have an interest in getting in the development side of the space. Uh, you know, we've got uh, plenty to develop on our own side of the house. And so we're really looking to companies like BP uh, to help us on our journey of securing uh, zero carbon energy supply around the globe. I'd underscore the same. Yeah, uh, you know, Microsoft does things exceptionally well. BP does things exceptionally well. You know, the energy transition is only you know accelerating, and so I, I think our partnership is around how do we enable each other, you know, to achieve our, our goals and objectives, and, and so that's very much how the partnership is centered. Mm -hmm. Uh, so as we speak, as, um, as both of you may have already experienced, hopefully not too severely, um, we have an energy crunch in many parts of the world. Uh, uh, Europe, we know this very well, you know, energy prices are really going up. In many parts of APEC, we're seeing the same thing. Um, there are even outages and blackouts. Um, what do you guys think the main causes are and how do we think we should be managing this? Jason, you want to maybe start because the Europe. Yeah, Brian's okay with that. I'll kick it off. So, 
Yeah, I look at this and, and it's this common phrase of when the holes of the Swiss cheese line up, these things type to ha you know, they, they tend to happen and these, these tail risk events. And so I think you have to start from a place that says we came out of um, you know, winter last year, we had a colder than normal winter. And from an EU perspective, we had you know, lower uh, than normal um, uh, you know, storage inventories on the natural gas end. You, know, you couple that then with strong Asian demand for LNG coming out of COVID. So we had an economic resurgence coming through. Um, then you couple that with we've had you know, lower um, equity EU gas supplies coming out of with the, you know, the curtailment of the Groningen field uh, in the Netherlands, the Norway, um, you know, coming down in time as well as with the, you know, Russia flowing, you know, uh, much less than they had in, in months prior. Um, and then we get into, okay, we've, you know, over most of Western Europe during the summer months, we had a system of high pressure. And what that means is low wind, right? And so when we didn't have the onshore or offshore wind spinning because of that high pressure, um, we had to utilize the, the natural gas that was available uh, to, to generate power, not stick into the ground for our forthcoming heating season. Yeah, and then there were some other bits, uh, CJ, that, that played into it. We had uh, some interconnector failures from France to the UK. Uh, you had uh, some coal and nuclear being regulated out of the stack. So they weren't there to support some of the baseload requirements. And it's just a culmination of all of these things that come together that lead to, to some tightness. And I think what this represents is it's a reminder of a few things. One is we are, you know, what used to be very regional in terms of energy is now becoming much more global, right? Um, number one. And secondly is, as we move to a world of intermittency, you know, flexibility is hugely important and we need all of these things to work in tandem. And so short-term, medium-term, long-term, you know, long-duration storage, all of these things will become more and more important, uh, particularly as we get rid of coal and, and, and some of the, the dirtier, uh, dirtier fuels. Yeah, I think that was a great summary, Jason. I mean, it, I think to summarize, it was a perfect storm, really. Um, yeah. and so everything that could have gone wrong or moved in the wrong direction has. And so we're sitting here now, really, I think, hoping for a, a relatively mild winter, uh, because, you know, we are going to be in a significant crunch this winter, you know, if the weather turns against us, because we just don't have a lot of buffer. So um, do you think this may happen more? Are we entering an age of, say, you know, more volatility in this transition period some people have brought up you know brought up the idea of uh, of unsynchronized transition right uh, could this become a, a, a regular occurrence well I think it, it to me it highlights that the energy transition is hard uh, right I mean we're, we're talking about you know making a, a shift uh, for basically for a hundred years you know having energy systems be predominantly dependent upon fossil fuels and the moving of fossil fuels around. And so when you start to shift away from that into a new system, you're inevitably going to have pain points along the way. And so while, while some of this is clearly cyclical, you're dealing with, say, the, you know, the post-COVID uh, sort of resurgence, uh, there are some structural issues in the market that we just have to be cognizant of that, you know, as we make this shift, we are going to find you know, pain points along the way. And so, um, you know, that, that's why I think it's really important to really think about holistically, you know, how do we design markets in such a way to ensure that we do have the power capacity that we need, that we are building the infrastructure that's going to be necessary to support this, this energy transition, which is so important.
Yeah, spot on. I would just add that um, a lot of people like to rally around, oh, just the renewable headlines. Uh, and as Brian's pointing out, it's much more than that. It's the resilience of the grid. It's, you know, putting in place the infrastructure, the flexibility. It's going to take, you know, history has been, it was a unilateral system, right? Thermal price generation moving down to the consumers. And all of a sudden we've got distributed generation popping up and how the grid is able to stay resilient, uh, balance that, um, manage the intermittency. And it's gonna take a slew of different technologies, not just one uh, to, to get us to where we need to be. So it's about uncertainty. It's uh, the, the future's got massive ambiguity in it, but it's an exciting time. And it's something that we, we absolutely have to do uh, as society. So, you know, let's make it happen. So what, what does this, what does this all mean for um, the you know twenty four seven goals that we've talked about for renewables? Many companies like yourself, Brian, too, right, been saying like we are going to be running on twenty four seven renewables. Uh, how does that relate to uh, these corporate goals we have and the volatilities we see in the market? Well, so the way we look at it is that it, it kind of goes directly to the problem we were just talking about, which is. If we're going to, I'm going to say if, we are going to fully decarbonize the electricity system, uh, it's only a question of how and, and how fast can we do it. And so, you know, when we, when we put together this goal to look at providing zero carbon you know, on a 24-7 basis, it really wasn't about necessarily just solving for, for Microsoft's load. Because frankly, like, it, it doesn't really matter if one customer can get to, you know, 100% zero carbon. What, what really matters is, can, you, can we demonstrate the art of the possible as it relates to how at a system level, grid by grid, we can achieve fully decarbonized electricity supply? And so that's, that's really what it's about for us. It's really more about you know, being a guinea pig in some ways to say, hey, this, we, we know this is possible and we know that you know, with the right sort of market design, with the right policies and with the right technologies, we can achieve it. So let's just set a target to say, hey, we think we can do this by 2030. And what we really hope to have happen is that not so much that, you know, again, it's about Microsoft solving for its own mode, but what we hope to have happen is you know, through, through things like partnerships with companies like BP, that we actually build tools that are scalable and then can be applied to loads that go far beyond ours and can be you know, provided to entire grids and entire systems. Because um, that's really what it's about. It's about decarbonizing the entire system, uh, not just an individual customer. Yeah, com completely agreed. I, I, think, I think the two things I'd, I'd build on that is, you know, one is we need helpful policy and regulation to make everything happen uh, that Brian just described. It's not a just about, oh, well, the UK is going to be, you know, uh, decarbonized by 2030. Great. Isn't this wonderful, right? So this is about getting, you know, consenting, the permitting. How do we get, you know, how do you help these projects along? And I think, you know, back to the point, markets need to work. Markets need to function. And where we have technologies that are economic, let the markets work, right? So use your subsidies, use your rate base to help bring along you know, more yeah, embryonic technologies. And so I know we're doing that in offshore wind, but we are seeing some countries pop up and do subsidies for solar and for onshore wind. And I look and say, really? Is that absolutely required? So I think there's much better use of rate base and taxpayer money uh, you know, on some of the more embryonic fronts. Um, you mentioned the, the regulations and policies, uh, and uh, I noticed that obviously both of you are very global companies, right, with operations around the world, uh, and the power markets are intrinsically local with different regulatory frameworks, 
Some countries allow for direct corporate contracting, some don't. Uh, some you can only buy from the grid. How do you manage a lot of these policy differences? And uh, in especially in emerging markets, right? You have very different regulatory structures and heavy uh, state influence and even you know, all the vertically integrated utilities. Uh, what are your modes of operation when it comes to that? You want me to start, Brian? I'll okay, go. go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th this is this is the tough one, right? And I, I know Brian feels it. I feel it. Many companies in this space feel it. And I think first you have to start from a place of, is it a regulated or a deregulated market? And so that could be, you know, in our words, would be, is it is it a tradable market? So can you do things? Now, on screen, can you help to, to hedge out and find some, some ability to manage variable price risk? Um, you know, or is it a market that's just governed by you know, some national uh, company, you know, incumbent utilities, and, um, and these are the rules and, and you know, abide by them or, you know, or not? Um, so I think you start from a place there. And, um, and then secondly, you know, there's so many different jurisdictions that have these nuanced policies. Some of them, have, you know, oh, you can't do private wire, right? Other, you know, whether you're doing FIS or financial has different legal entity requirements. And so I think the short answer in all of this is it's really, really hard, right? Power is very nuanced by jurisdiction my hope would be as things become more interconnected, and that's where Europe is striving to go, that this will help to uh, allow a more interchangeable and fungible system on a policy perspective, because right now it's really tough to have you know, you know, expertise in every jurisdiction, particularly if, if we're going to accomplish what, what we're set out to do. Yeah, I agreed. And that's why we're a big believer in organized markets and, and the importance of, you know, having those, those broad connections, because it is super challenging when you're going around the globe, even within, within a country or a, a continent and having to cross borders and have to deal with entirely different rules and regulations. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a huge challenge. And it, you know, as, I, as we think about some of the goals that we've set up, um, I, I do have concerns about, you know, tail uh, markets where I, I'm not exactly sure how we're going to solve some of the, uh, for some of the commitments that we've made. Uh, but so that's why we have good partners like BP to help us figure it out. And of course, uh, we're happy to be part of that effort too, um, in many of the markets with uh, some of the knowledge that we've accumulated. Um, and of course, um, I think, you know, especially when we go into some of the, as you said, the tail markets, uh, you have many markets that are sort of in transition, not just regulated or deregulated. They're somewhere in between and they're trying to do some deregulation and that gets even more complicated. Um, so maybe my last question with that is, what would you tell somebody, another company, right, that's starting to think about renewable procurement to go on this journey, uh, or maybe they're just starting to step into it, what would be your suggestions? Like what, what I tell companies all the time, and I, I do have a lot of folks come to me and say, hey, how did Microsoft get to where it is, or help me figure out how I, I you know, get this through my CFO or whatever it is. Um, you know, any step is, is a good step. Like if you're moving in that direction, you know, I look at our journey, which started you know, about a decade ago, um, and it started with relatively what we look at today is, is small commitments, um, you know, things that, that really weren't that material um, at the time. But for us, they, they were uh, right, because we, what we were starting to do was drive alignment across the company and engagement on this issue. And so get just getting that awareness and getting that understanding of, hey, 
climate is a big deal. Uh, as a corporation, you know, we have a responsibility to act. Uh, and so starting to take steps in that direction. And you know, for us, it's been a you know, year in, year out, you know, reevaluating, okay, what is the art of the possible for us now? What, you know, given what we've learned, you know, can, can we move the ball even further? And can we actually push harder on these commitments? And so, um, you know, I, and I, my team and I talk about this all the time, we have no idea what we're gonna be asked to commit to next year. Right, because it's gonna we're gonna learn some more, and it's it's probably gonna be some new challenge that we haven't even yet contemplated. Um, but that's what makes it exciting, and it's um, you know really a, I think an awesome time to get to be part of this industry. I would just add two things. I, I I think what I would tell people is get abundantly clear at your board and your executive committee levels around your definition of green. Right. There's a whole slew of variations to that. So be really clear about how do you define being green? Is it just doing you know, offsets or renewable credits or do you wanna look out the back of your, your industrial plant or your facility and, and see you know, the solar panels and, and the wind turbine spinning or are you open to different you know, virtual type products where you can, you can take advantage of some of the density you may have in one location to, to, to make up for what you may have in others. You know, so get really clear there. And then secondly is find the right partners. I mean, it's just what we were kicking off earlier. And so, you know, I, I think both, you know, Brian and I benefit from, from each other and, you know, find the right partners. It's a fragmented business. There's a lot of different players out there. Um, and, um, you know, and, you know, just be clear on your journey together. Thank you. Very great uh, insights and advice for everybody that's uh, watching the Zero Week conversation video. And uh, we hope both of you will come back and join us again uh, at the other end, maybe sometime next year, and we can see where the world is at. Thanks. That's great. Thanks, Shijo. Take care. Bye.